Welcome to the Lancet Global Health Podcasts. My name is Nina Putnis and it's May 2022. Today we're talking about cities, urban design and health, where we live and the structures around us play a really important role in our health and well-being. Urban design and city planning influences how we travel, the quality of air we breathe, our access to essential facilities and services, our participation in social events or projects and our enjoyment of green spaces. All of this is vital to our physical and mental health. Cities that support the health of their people and of the environment, in other words, healthy and sustainable cities, should be a priority globally. This was the topic of the first series on urban design, transport and health back in 2016. This important series in the Lancet Weekly highlighted the many links between cities and health and why change is important. This week, the second series was launched by the Lancet Global Health, continuing this really important conversation. This series and the papers published in this month's issue focus this time on how and what must change. This series uses a modified list of the suggested city planning and policy indicators needed to report on health and sustainable cities developed in series one. It expands on this to discuss how we develop feasible, actionable, realistic policies with measurable impacts on the people living in cities across the world. It looks at data from 25 cities in 19 countries across the world as an incredibly important resource to make changes needed to improve the health and well-being of our urban population worldwide. In this podcast, we talk to two members of the team involved in the first paper of the series. Now, this paper looks at city planning policies across the 25 cities included in the series and really importantly delves not only into the existence of policies associated with health, but looks at the content of these policies, really trying to understand how they're implemented and how they're measured. So I'm here today with Dr. Melanie Lowe and Dr. Deepti Adlaka. Dr. Melanie Lowe is a research fellow in urban resilience and innovation at the Melbourne Centre for Cities at the University of Melbourne in Australia. Melanie is an executive member of the Global Healthy and Sustainable City Indicators Collaboration, which developed this Lancet Global Health series and is the lead author of the paper we're discussing today. Dr. Deepti Adlaka is an Associate Professor in the Department of Landscape Architecture and Environmental Planning and the Director of the Natural Learning Initiative at North Carolina State University in the United States. Dr. Adlaka is a Fulbright Scholar and an interdisciplinary scientist and her research focuses on generating, translating and scaling up evidence reducing health inequalities. She's also an Executive Member of the Global Health and Sustainable City Indicators Collaboration. Welcome to both of you. Such a pleasure to talk to you about this today. Thanks, Nina. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Great to be here. So now this paper is a huge and complex undertaking because it looks at wide ranging city planning policies across the world. Could you perhaps start by briefly explaining what this paper seeks to do and and why? Yes, this was indeed a a very large study that actually took us about three and a half years, I think, to complete. As you said uh, in your introduction, we assessed city planning policy frameworks for 25 cities. 19 of those cities were in high-income countries and six were in middle-income countries. 
and we looked whether those policies supported creation of healthy and sustainable cities. And this is really important because we know that city planning policies have that powerful influence on the built environment as well as urban lifestyles and environmental exposures. And therefore, they're really crucial for human health and attainment of sustainable development goals. So fundamentally, we really wanted to develop uh, policy-relevant findings so we could assist planning of healthier and more sustainable cities internationally. So we used indicators recommended in the 2016 Lancet series that uh, you just referred to, and, and we used those indicators to analyse policies related to a whole range of aspects. So um, integrated city planning, urban design and active transport, housing density, um, air pollution controls, access to employment and public transport, as well as public transport investment. We focused on analysing government policies for the whole city or the majority of the metropolitan area. And we tapped into an existing network of built environment and health researchers who helped with the huge task of collecting policy information for each of those 25 cities. And we really must thank um, all of our collaborators and co-authors who really made this international study possible. And then we used that information that we collected to assess and compare the availability as well as the quality of policies across the cities. And really this was a proof of concept study. We were testing the feasibility of uh, consistently assessing policies for diverse cities internationally using that health lens. Thank you for that really helpful background. So moving on to the findings a little bit, you found that while many of the cities included, although not all, did have some policies that linked city planning with health. Many did not cover all of the important factors you've just outlined, and most didn't have appropriate and measurable targets for these policies. Could you explain why this matters? Yes, uh, we found that many cities did not have measurable targets that they need in order to achieve the goals for healthy and sustainable cities. Um, and why this matters is policy targets must have a quantitative reference point or a threshold and ideally a time frame for delivery to be measurable and support accountability. And this helps guide implementation on the ground. However, we found that most policies were stated as aspirations or broad aims. And this makes it challenging to monitor policy implementation and hold governments accountable. Only eight cities in our sample had measurable policy targets to improve pedestrian infrastructure, and seven cities had cycling infrastructure targets. Um, and some cities had policies that completely contradicted their goals for building healthy cities. For example, policies that favor automobile dependence over public transport, walking and cycling. And all of these have brought about severe consequences to the society and the environment, such as high greenhouse gas emissions, generation of urban sprawl and traffic, rise in chronic diseases like obesity and cardiovascular disease, and a dramatic increase in the rate of traffic accidents. And the list goes on. And we found that those policy limitations that Deepti's just outlined, um, they 
really matter because cities risk committing to urban systems and with negative impacts on the environment and human health, particularly if they have those flawed policy targets that Deep D mentioned. And in fact, in the third paper in the series, we actually showed that many cities have spatial inequities in access to walkable environments, public transport, parks and other daily living destinations. While we didn't specifically look at policy implementation, we hypothesised that limitations in policy frameworks may be contributing to those poorer urban design and transport outcomes on the ground. In fact, uh, findings across the series suggest that having policies that are inconsistent with evidence on planning healthy cities may actually be more detrimental than having no policy at all. Targets included in policies need to be informed by evidence, and this is where the second paper in the series uh, comes in. It contributes to understanding the minimum thresholds required for things such as population density, street connectivity, public transport access, and public open space, so that these features can best support walking. Thinking about the breadth of really important results, but thinking about inequalities within that global inequalities, perhaps. You looked at 25 cities across 19 countries. As you mentioned, Melanie, six of those were middle-income countries. And you found that these countries were less likely to have city planning policies associated with health. Were there any other core findings from these six cities? And what implications does this have for middle or perhaps even low-income countries? This has very important implications for middle-income countries because much of the urban growth uh, anticipated in the next 20 years is expected to occur in low- and middle-income countries. And these countries carry a disproportionate burden of global diseases, and they also suffer the harshest consequences of climate change. Governments in these countries generally do not have the requisite financial resources to generate relevant data, conduct statistical analyses, develop and implement policies, and track their performance, and also build capacity to strengthen city planning on the ground. And our findings confirmed this. In our data, cities in middle-income countries generally had more policy gaps and fewer measurable policies than those in high-income countries. All the middle-income cities that we studied lacked explicit health goals in their urban policies. And our results really underscore the urgent need to build urban policy capacity in low- and middle-income countries. And this is a critical role of international organizations such as the United Nations and the World Health Organization. And to give you an example, um, the city of Sao Paulo in Brazil was a positive outlier among the cities in our sample. Um, and it outperformed many high-income cities on policy presence and quality, making it a positive example for other low- and middle-income countries. And we recommend that governments in low- and middle-income countries closely examine their policies to identify gaps and strengthen their policy frameworks to include health-promoting urban design and transport features. We also recommend that cities make policy data publicly available for use by researchers, advocates and stakeholders. Your results are clearly incredibly important and have global implications with, as you just mentioned, Deepti, some, some kind of real life applicability. But 
City planning, sustainable change, infrastructure, transport, building, these are all really complex long-term activities, including many players, many of them outside of health. Is the health and well-being of people living in these cities high enough on the agenda? I mean, how do we create and then also maintain change across all of these dimensions? Yes, a, a really complex um, undertaking. So, you know, you're certainly right that healthy and sustainable city planning is a complex policy activity and one that involves, you know, many sectors and many levels of government. The complexity of the policy environment, I think, really fed into the challenges we experienced conducting this multi-city study. I do think there's some positive signs uh, internationally that cities are becoming an increasing focus for action on health and sustainable development. So, for example, you know, we see in the Sustainable Development Goals an emphasis on cities, especially with Goal 11. And in our study, we found that many cities had explicit policy aims related to healthy cities, and that's a, that's a positive sign. But our study also showed that there is still significant work to do to ensure policies across all of those sectors um, align to support urban health and sustainability. There's lots of great aspirations, but we need to translate those good intentions into strong policy and then implement the actions intended and continuously measure and monitor progress on the ground. Really key to this is developing and maintaining good long-term strategy because, as you can imagine, change in cities often takes a long time to be realised. Government investment in active transport uh, should be prioritised much more than it currently is, and transport and planning law should also be carefully considered, um, as these can be powerful tools to support health equity. Absolutely. And on this action, your paper ends on a strong call to action to lots of different organisations from the UN and the World Health Organisation, governments and to researchers. But what steps do you suggest to, to initiate these important actions? I mean, in other words, where should we start? Yes, as um, Melanie was talking about the complex undertaking, in our paper, we issue a call to action to global organizations, city leaders, governments, and stakeholders to take collective action by implementing integrated planning policies to promote health and sustainability. And how do we start? We recommend that the first step is for city governments to evaluate and monitor their planning policies so that the gaps and limitations can be addressed in each city. And second, Policies must be integrated vertically between levels of government and horizontally across all sectors involved in city governance, especially those related to land use, transport, housing, parks, and infrastructure. And this is a complex undertaking, as Melanie just discussed, and our work fills this gap. We offer a roadmap for city leaders to act quickly and plan for future urban growth. We provide a framework to measure city planning policies informed by the best available evidence. And specifically, we demonstrate which urban design and transport features can create healthy and sustainable cities and how planning departments can integrate these in their policies to set benchmarks 
and monitor progress. City planning policies play a crucial role in providing economic, environmental, and social benefits for all. Actions that result from these policies can mitigate health inequities and decrease premature deaths caused by traffic fatalities, inactive lifestyles, air pollution, and related environmental exposures. And by using the tools and framework we have developed, city leaders, policymakers, and stakeholders can champion these policies and commitments at the local, national, and international scales. And this complex under undertaking can then be broken down and addressed in these ways. Deepji, thank you so much for so clearly outlining that action plan. If we zoom out a little bit now, perhaps for this last question, the last paper of this series in this month's Lancet Global Health beautifully summarises the findings um, across the series and ends by highlighting the co-benefits of evidence-informed city planning policy and standards for health and sustainable cities, so the co-benefits to both human and planetary health, the health of our planet and the impact of environment and environmental change should increasingly be on everyone's agenda. But how can those planning, living and working in cities contribute to this? Yes, it's the last paper in the series that underlines the increasing urgency to transform our cities, especially um, in the face of growing evidence about the health impacts of things like urban air pollution and obviously uh, the current climate crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. Climate change and the pandemic are interesting um, as they're really interconnected urban public health issues and they've really re-emphasised uh, the close links between us humans and the environment we live in. We need to ensure we develop cities that support human and planetary health and this is really about maximising opportunities for health and environmental co-benefits where possible while also minimising any potential trade-offs. So, for example, we know that promoting active transport can have multiple co-benefits for physical activity, air quality and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which in turn has those um, health benefits of climate change mitigation. And the good news is that the pandemic has shown us that rapid change in cities is actually possible. With many jurisdictions around the world using uh, this as an opportunity to reallocate road space for active transport and open space. We need to use this moment and certainly the momentum created by COVID-19 response and recovery in cities globally to reimagine and transform our cities. And it is great that we've seen leadership on this from the C40 group of cities, which have called for zero carbon, healthy and sustainable 15 minute neighbourhoods where everyone uh, can access things required for daily living uh, nearby by walking, bike or public transport. We encourage government leaders and a wide range of relevant civil society groups to incorporate the tools we've developed in this series into their daily work and future plans. Governments and organizations that have good policies and more resources can think about how they can support other cities in their country, regionally, as well as internationally, including offering assistance to low and middle income countries. Urban citizens and community leaders can help advocate for policy change and transformation of their neighborhoods and cities. 
and policy indicators can help with these efforts. We have made our study findings easily accessible on a newly launched global observatory of healthy and sustainable cities. And this is in the form of city-specific scorecards and reports. We also hope that listeners will be keen to get involved in our Thousand Cities Challenge via the Global Observatory. For the Thousand Cities Challenge, we invite all urban researchers, geospatial data scientists, urban design and planning experts, health and place experts, citizens and policymakers from around the globe to join our initiative by helping us gather policy and spatial data from cities across the world and apply our free and open access tools to calculate healthy and sustainable city indicators for their own cities, as well as to help us develop new indicators for this global initiative. Fabulous. Thank you so much. I'm afraid that is all we have time for, but we really appreciate you coming to talk to us about this today. Thank you, Nina. Pleasure. Thank you, Nina. And listeners, if you would like to know more about this, if you'd like to read this paper and all of the papers in the series, do visit the Lancet Global Health online.